we can dance, everybody look at your hands. Oh, we can dance, oh, we can dance, everybody's making the chance. Safe to dance, oh, it's safe to dance. Yes, yeah, safe to dance. You can dance if you want to. What a great song from Men Without Hats, the safety dance, and there will be no safety dances as everyone's dancing in March. You're listening to NYC, NYSEA. We're talking sports and a whole lot more. Dory Bennett, Juan Cotto, I'm Will Sanchez, and it's March Madness time. We're going to get into March Madness a little bit. You know, if, you, if you're looking for breakdowns for every round and Sweet 16 and who's coming, who's going, and everything else, this is not what we do. There's plenty of places to do that, but we will talk about some of the teams um, that are favored, the first seeds, uh, how the Pac-12 did. Uh, we're going to talk about the women's uh, March Madness and the growing programs that have strived uh, in 2019. A lot of it going to Gino Oriama and going back to Pat Summit. A little NFL, but let's start it. Dory, Juan, Juan, how you guys doing? I, I, Will, I enjoyed the first day of summer in the middle of March. It was an incredibly beautiful day today. And, uh, yeah, it made it a lot easier to go dancing. Hey, we uh, well, the dancing started last night when all the brackets were revealed, and uh, some surprises. I'm I'm surprised about a few of these, and it it will be interesting for us to get into this conversation. You know, we we talk about the number one seeds, and and really, normally before we even get into all that, normally there's a lot of you know everyone's kind of their feelings are hurt. Everyone's a little bit out of shape. Somebody got left out. Somebody's not dancing. Someone is going to the NIT that believes that they should have been at the tournament. Um, I didn't hear much of that this year. It seems like for the most part they got it right. I know you know we had an AD up in uh, North uh, North Carolina State that was kind of up in arms about it, but is really much to do about nothing they didn't play a great schedule they didn't really deserve to be in there i think that she was more concerned with uh, appeasing the fan base and really kind of backfired because even the fan base was like well i don't think you really belonged anyway but for the most part we really don't hear too often about it but i think i think they got it right this year i think they got it right i think that um I, I would agree with you, Will. I'll agree with you 100%. I was surprised at a few of the seedings, but again, I think it was based on the body of work throughout the season and not exactly what happened in the outcomes of any of the conference tournaments. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. And I think that there, I think that the, the, uh, the different things that they put in place to, to, to make the, to make the selections a little bit more competitive and the use of the, uh, yeah, it was the RPI, but it's the BRI or whatever it is. Um, I think they're becoming more accurate, and I and I and I agree that uh, uh, I think they're getting better at, at selecting the teams and, and the criterias. And I, I think it I think it makes well. And, I, and and once again, I mean, you know, Cinderella should always have a shot, and that's the great thing about the tournament and uh, the, the Mid American Conference uh, tournaments are so exciting to see some of these teams you've never heard of get opportunities and. Uh, that's what makes the tournament special. It is. And, um, you know, we, we've been kind of hammering the Pac-12 all year, right? And, and we were like, are they going to get one team in? Are they going to get none? <laughs> well, they actually got three. They got um, Oregon, Washington, and Arizona State in. And earlier this year, we thought that Washington was a shoo-in. You know, they had some really, uh, some really good basketball games. They had some good wins. And they uh, faltered off. Uh, what are your thoughts on... 
Uh, Juan, what are your thoughts on how the Pac-12 kind of ended up uh, this year, and um, and now that they're uh, these three teams are going to the dance? Well, I, I'm I'm a, I'm a Husky apologist, so I, I'm just excited to be at the tournament. I, I, I'm happy for them. Congratulations to Mike Hopkins and the guys. And uh, you know that the, at the end of the season, the last few games were a little rough. Uh, obviously, the, the the tournament championship game wasn't what to expect, but they ran up against the, a red hot Oregon team. Yeah, and I think that it's uh, it's become such a uh, a real easy thing to do to kick the, the Pac-12 around a little bit, but there's still tremendous talent there. I think the Huskies are a very good basketball team. I felt the same way about Arizona State watching them play the Huskies about six weeks ago and, and really ran the, the Huskies ragged and beat them down there in Tempe. And um, Oregon is playing extremely good basketball right now. And I, and I have a lot of respect for Dana Altman as a basketball coach. And they're going to be an extremely tough out where they are. So I'm glad that the tournament did get it right this time, that the, the conference champion, the Pac-12 conference champion in the regular season, the most consistent team, is in the tournament. Uh, obviously, Oregon wins the conference tournament championship. And Arizona State's a really good basketball team. Well, I think also, again, it was taken by the body of work. Um, I'm a bit concerned about the Huskies because it felt like they that, that we kind of limped into not only the Pac-12 regular season championship, but also the conference championship. I'm not sure. So the team I've seen play, I, I haven't seen them play lately. And so I'm hoping that Coach Hopkins, which I, I, I know he's a great motivator, but I think the teams that have beat the Huskies – have been playing, beating the Huskies at their own game. They, those those teams have gone to a zone defense and have forced the Huskies to shoot the three more often than work the ball inside. Mm-hmm. And and with that situation going on with shooting, having to shoot the ball from the outside, we all know you live by the three, you die by the three. And for the Huskies, they've been dying by the three. So I'd love to see them get their offense back on track. And and get it so that that a zone defense doesn't stop us. Well, the the, the key the key player in the tournament is going to be Noah Dickerson, and, and obviously he, he he was injured. I think he hurt his uh, one of his ankles this year, and he, he just never got right. And hopefully that the tournament he'll get right. But after Noah, the the, the inside presence goes to to, to Timmons, and he's a big body in the middle, but he's not uh, he's not very much offensively, and, and he's. Uh, type of player who can't shoot free throws so you don't want the ball in his hands. And uh, he gives you some rim protection on defense. So for, for the Huskies to be successful inside, it really rests. Uh, Noah Dickinson's going to have to carry them. And, you know, he's got, that, he's got that old school game. He's got that nice little soft touch around the basket. And hopefully he's healthy because he's going to play a big role if they're going to be successful in the tournament. Exactly. And I think uh... – uh, Matisse Thibel, let's give him his his props for breaking Gary Payton's record. That was amazing. That was awesome. And uh, I, I believe that he needs – he's going to play a huge part. He's also going to play a huge part. But I, I just – I'm I'll be really interested to see how we do – how the Huskies do against Utah State. Utah mm-hmm. State has some amazing players, they and they have a big guy inside, which always gives the Huskies an, a, a difficulty. When we have to play a team that has a big guy inside, we the Huskies have difficulty. They really do. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a great matchup. I'm excited for it. And just so you know, I I have oysters and martinis 
on the line with a bet Uh-oh. with one of the football coaches at Utah State. Stacy Collins used to play and coach for my brother. So, I yeah, there's a lot on the line for the Utah State-Washington game. You know, um, Washington's the they they ranked the the ninth seeded team, and they play in Utah State, the eighth seeded team. Um, it that'll be an interesting game. Regardless, they're going to get the winner of North Carolina and Iona. And let's be let's be realistic here. You know, no disrespect to the Gales of Iona. Good for them uh, to get back in there. I know um, upstate New York, or not upstate New York. And see, anything outside of the Bronx is upstate New York, even if it's only 15 minutes upstate, which Iona is. It's really close to the Bronx. It feels like another world. But, um, you know, one of these two teams is getting North Carolina next. And um, ho- hopefully Washington goes through one round because it's always fun. It's always fun to root for the kids. But uh, they're going to run into the Tar Heels, and that's going to be a tough out. Well, that, that's what happened the last time they were in the tournament. They, uh, I can't remember who they beat in the first round, but they ended up playing North Carolina in 2011. And uh, and it was a close ball game down to the end, but North Carolina pulled it out. And that was when they had Zeller and all those guys. But, um, yeah, it's a uh, – this is – it would be a monumental effort. For, I mean, I, I, think, I, I bet you Coach Hopkins is taking it one game at a time. He's got his hands full with uh, – with uh, Utah State. I mean, this is an extremely good basketball team, and they, they won their conference tournament. Uh, and I don't want to say with ease, but uh, they, they won it handily. And um, the University of Washington is up against it right, right off the bat. Hey, let's be clear. They've already achieved their goal, right? Even though it wasn't pretty the way they kind of stumbled in. But they did what they had to do. You know, they won. They, I mean, they went 26-8. and eight. They won 26 games this year, you know, for for all the hassle that that we're, we're giving them right there, and, and how they played and how they played down the stretch, and and them losing uh, their last game. Uh, but they had a successful season. They've got some some pieces in place. They've got some players coming in next year. There's a formula with Coach Hopkins. Um, you know what what they want to do with with this Huskies team, and hopefully Hopkins, uh, you know, sticks around. There's you know, and, and sees it uh, continue to grow. But this is a successful year for Washington, especially coming off the last couple of seasons where they haven't even been in the conversation. So let's give some kudos to yeah. uh, Coach Hopkins and the Huskies and getting this team back in track, getting them back in the tournament, having a successful season. And um, a lot of those games were uh, were sold out. So the, the fans and, yeah. and uh, everyone that was rooting mm-hmm. for uh, the Huskies um, showed their love this year. I think oh, also go go ahead. Uh, Will. I was just saying that this. I mean, it, it is. This is a great. This is a great sports town, it's, and it, and it, it, at times it's it's been a a great college basketball town. When when the, when the Huskies play well, the fans definitely show up, and uh, I think that this particular basketball team and Willie, I, you almost you almost under understated it. I mean, this is one of the great seasons of Husky history at twenty six and eight, and. Uh, and the fans did come out and support this team. They have, you know, just re- remarkably charismatic players and and Bible and and uh, the player of the year in the Pac-12, Jalen Noel. And uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a fantastic year. And uh, no, no matter what happens, you're right. They they hit their goal. And I and, I, and Mike Hopkins, uh, he he certainly should be Pac-12 Coach of the Year. He's got players coming to the University of Washington. Will he's got some guys who are are, are extremely good basketball players. Uh, one transferred from Kentucky, and he's, the, the 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 future looks bright for what he's doing, and uh, I hope he sticks around here to do it. 
also, I think we need to make sure that we understand that the senior leadership has truly made a difference with this Husky basketball team. And, and having the defensive player of the year, again, has made a difference. What I've noticed with this team is how well they play together and how well they support each other. And it, it, it has made a huge difference. They, they, they win together. They lose together. Family is family. And it's not just out there with a hashtag. This is truly how this team rolls. So I'm, I'm excited. I am so excited for Friday at 340 when they tip off against the Utah State Aggies. Oh, what a name. Anyway, let's move over to uh, the other side of the bracket, uh, going over to the west side. They're going to be playing in the Midwest in Kansas City. That's where uh, the Huskies are going to take on Utah State. But uh, over at Anaheim, um, Buffalo is going to wait the win of Arizona State and St. John's. I saw St. John's play quite a few games this year, and they started out red hot. I mean, they were playing really well. They have a, a, a guy in Shamori Ponds that is going to um, most likely go to the NBA and, and probably selected. I'm not sure where in the first round, but he should be a first-round player. Um, they've had some injuries, and they've just kind of been up and down. But they've had some good wins. I mean, they've beaten, beaten Villanova. At the same time, they've had some bad losses. So they're a really up-and-down kind of team that, um, that obviously didn't win the Big East tournament with Villanova once again. Uh, winning that tournament every time we think that we're done with them because they keep graduating players to the NBA they find a way to put in a great program which is another great example from Jay Wright and the formula that he has had to win it's amazing to think that Jay Wright was almost fired from Villanova and he was just showing that patience mm -hmm. say let me put this program together but anyway going back to St. John's hey it's Chris Mullen versus yeah. Bobby Hurley. Hurley. I mean, if we could get them one-on-one <laughs> cool on, on the basketball court, maybe with the big three, you know, uh, you know, we, we got the big three going on in the summer here. Maybe we could get Chris Mullen and Bobby Hurley out there to play some ball. Uh, I would love to see them maybe put on the uniform and, and maybe sub themselves in for about 30 seconds because that's probably all they could probably do running up and down the court. But uh, it, it's great. It has this New York feel, this New York, New Jersey kind of ties um, mm -hmm. with these two guys and, and the, the fan base and the family. Obviously, Bobby Hurley, uh, a senior, which is the Hall of Famer uh, from St. Anthony's in Jersey City. So there's an interesting kind of matchup, and it's kind of interesting to see how uh, the committee put these two teams to pit against one another before they take on Buffalo. I would just say this is that, I mean, they're, they're... Yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been a it's been a few decades since uh, Chris Mullen and Bobby Hurley stepped on the floor. When the University of Washington played Arizona State six weeks ago, I, I was incredibly impressed by a guard by the name of Randy Martin. Yep. And uh, it just seemed like they just, I mean, not, nothing nothing the Huskies could do that night could stop the the speed the and the athleticism of this Arizona State team. And once again, I mean, in the in the negative perception of the Pac-12. That, that the team I watched that night, uh, they they were up and down the floor. They they posed tremendous problems on on defense, and they scorched the Huskies that night. And uh, they were so athletic, you know, it was really really hard for the University of Washington to, uh, to to be in the ball game. I think that was when Noah Dickerson had really gotten hurt. I think that he had um, he had missed a lot of time up to that point. Next was out of the game, and I only think that the Huskies ended up playing with seven players that night. But nevertheless. Arizona State was uh, was one of the best teams I saw all year that night, and um, 
if if they you know it, it all it, it, you, you hate to see Jekyll and Hyde. I had I hadn't seen them consistently, but uh, I believe that they could be a really good uh, basketball team at times. And we'll see which team shows up. Arizona State uh, is a tr- tremendous up. team. Um, they they. I would, if I had to place money down, I would place it that they were going to beat St. John's to play in this game as the 11th seed. Uh, Arizona State's 22 and 10. St. John's is 21 and 12. The problem with knowing with St. John's is you just don't know what team you're going to get because you could get a team that plays great defensively, scores, and will have 10 blocks. I mean, that is the up and down kind of St. John's team it is. It's almost kind of like a street ball kind of team where you just don't know. When you step on the court, which team you're getting? You know, we're gonna come out and just blow these guys out, and we're just running and gunning and and, and just playing ball. Oh, we're stagnant. We can't find a way to score. Uh, we have to run everything uh, through ponds. The ball, there's no ball movement. You become stagnant. So it is a really, really difficult uh, matchup for those two teams. So it'll be really, really interesting, that game. But if I had to pick, I would probably pick Arizona State just because they seem to be a little bit more consistent. I like the way they play their game. I like the sets that they're running. Um, but like I said, if St. John's comes out and, and they're balling, they're, they're, one of the, they're, they're going to be one of those teams that, once again, they beat a Villanova. You know, they, they have some good wins, even though they went, uh, you know, down the stretch, they didn't play well. But the body of work and the wins that they have are impressive. They were even hanging with Duke uh, down there when mm-hmm. they when they went to visit Duke until the set, you know, about halfway through the second half where Duke kind of said, OK, we're, we're done. Let's, let's play some ball and then blew them out of the waters. But you can see the spurts where St. John's just kind of elevates their game and play tremendous. So it's really one of those pick em games. Um, I, I wouldn't throw down cash on any of those uh, on, on that game at all. Well, you make great points. I, I, I can't even disagree with anything that you've said. All right, here's here's our, here's here's my upset. I don't know about your upset. We're going to go down to South. We're going to Louisville, not Louisville, Louisville. Mm-hmm. And the 12-seeded Oregon Ducks are taking on the 5th seed Wisconsin. And, boy, we love picking the 12-5 uh, upset special. And to me, this upset special is quacking away i love oregon in this game i love the way they play they're they're they have a lot of size think about the job you you mentioned it in, in the beginning uh, of this podcast about the job that, that has been done with their coach i mean they lost one of the top players in the nation in bowl manu bowl's son and they still mm-hmm. play tremendous basketball along the way this should be a great game well dana altman challenged his players and all but one all but one, he said, look, none of you deserve to be on the court. Every single one of you needs to prove that you are a D1 player and that you deserve to be on the court. And he took the ball out of um, their that guard's hands, and and he just said, look, I, I don't think you can do this. He challenged his players, and from that point on, they have been on a run. So I, I think they're still on a run. It is. Absolutely. I'm only rooting for Oregon because they're in the Pac-12. I own nothing that has green on it or an O on it. <laughs> no, just well, one, of the, one of the great motivators and one of the great coaches decided decide a new deal. And uh, it, it's good to see that, uh, that the University of Oregon inked up one of the great basketball coaches in the country. And he's extremely competitive and Boy, I tell you, they uh, they really did turn it around this year. They're they're on a hot streak, 
And uh, we, we, we saw it so many times at Creighton. And um, I tell you, they are, they are uh, playing extremely good basketball right now. And uh, I think they are easy, easy pick for the 12-5 upset. Oh, you like, so that? You like that? You like that pick also? No, don't don't count Wisconsin. Now, you know, it's it's tough playing one of those Big Twelve schools. They play so many, so many big games, and yeah. um, and I, obviously, you know, the the type of, of style that Wisconsin plays is ugly basketball, and always has been going back to the days of Dick Bennett. Um, won't won't be an easy basketball game for either team. You know, let's talk about the number one seeds, and obviously what's closer to us is Gonzaga. And before we get to them, I'll just mention the three other teams. It's going to be Virginia, which is going to be looking for redemption after them losing to the 16th seeds. the first time it's ever happened. They're back, the number one seed, North Carolina Tar Heels, which is coming out of the same conference as Duke. So you've got two teams from the same conference with the number one seeds, just to show you how strong of a conference that is. So Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, North Carolina, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll start with the Zags out there in the West. Uh, they they start off with Fairleigh Dickinson and uh, the winner of Fairleigh Dickinson and Prairie View A and M. But after that, they'll get the winner of Syracuse and Baylor, which should be interesting because Syracuse and Baylor they have the zone, they have some size. It'll be really interesting to see how that goes. Just a just a recap: what you thought about Gonzaga and the job that Few has done once again with that team. Well, Mark Few's done a great job with the team, uh, but I will tell you that St. Mary's is consistently their nemesis, always their nemesis. Uh, on a very regular basis, every year, St. Mary's will come in and beat Gonzaga, whether they beat them during the regular season or during the tournament. I, I, I'm, I think Gonzaga uh, will regroup. I'm also not sure that they have the team to get to the final four. I really don't. I I think they will be a number one seed that ends up not getting to the to the final four. Uh, I will I mean it's uh and it, it all depends upon the matchups. <laughs> you and you and I were at the uh, UW last year and we saw them just dissect the University of Washington zone and uh, I know I, I mean I, I I would I guess I would I would probably lean towards thinking Syracuse Based on their body of work as their next opponent, but uh, their Mark View teams, um, you know, they 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 know their roles. They're, they're tremendously athletic. Uh, not 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 the, uh, the the Gonzaga teams of the first five years of this big run. I mean, he's really got some some good players in there. There's there's obviously an an institutional commitment that that Gonzaga has made, and they have uh, they're they're an extremely good basketball team. I saw them play against the University of Washington. I felt like they let the UW back in that ball game in Spokane, and it was a, and I, I think that was probably one of the high water marks for the University of Washington season, certainly. But uh, you know, at the end of it, they they didn't panic. Uh, they knew who they were going to, and they they have so many shooters on the floor. And if any one of those guys gets hot, it's a it's a tough night. It opens up the rest of the floor, and they're uh, they're they're, they're going to be a they're going to be a team. I, I agree with Dory. I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they are a uh, I don't know if they are a team that makes it all the way to the Final Four, but the way they play basketball, they they rarely beat themselves. Um, they'll be they'll be uh, 
it'll be interesting to see him and, and what happens in this tournament with, with Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga has going to have a problem at the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. I think the Sweet 16, they're going to run into either a Marquette, Murray State, or Florida State. I, if, if I'm anybody in the bracket, I do not want to play Florida State. I mean, uh, the, the job that Leonard Hamilton has done and that Florida State team, you would really like because it's a throwback. It's, it's all seniors. You know, it's not the Dukes and Kentuckys that could get these one and done kids or anything like that. It's kids that have been there for three or four years. They've learned the system. They play really well. They're big. They have length. They run up and down. They like to dunk the ball. Florida State. Their athleticism, their poise, and maturity are going to give uh, a lot of teams some headaches. And that's where I think Gonzaga is going to have a hard time because when you hit that Sweet 16 Elite Eight, you're going to run into these teams that are really stacked. I think that West going through that area is going to be really difficult. And if they get to the Elite Eight, most likely they're going to run into a Michigan team. I mean, that is just a tremendous path to the final four starting with that sweet 16 I, I think they'll get through the first two rounds but that following weekend that sweet 16 elite eight that is going to be rough rough for the zags i think gonzaga proved that they had difficulty against a zone because of how close the washington game was and i don't think that 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 Gonzaga, I, I think Washington pushed Gonzaga in the in the UW Washington or UW Gonzaga game, and then again I think that Gonzaga struggles every time they see his own. Every time they see his own, because if they're sh- if if they are cold on their three point shots, which can happen, we all know, live by the three, die by the three that Syracuse could be the team that takes Gonzaga out of the tournament. And again, I what. That Look would how be close a Washington. Huge upset. That would be. I know that Ugh. would be a huge upset. It would be a huge upset. But Gonzaga is still seen as a Cinderella, even though I mean, for most people in the country, even though they get a number one seed, I really don't believe that people are drinking the Kool Aid when it comes to Gonzaga. Go ahead, Juan. What's your thoughts on that uh, assessment? Um, I you know I mean Syracuse knocked up North Carolina this year. So they're 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 not they're not a slouch. They're not a slouch. So, I mean, I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. They're, 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 so uh, you know, and, and obviously, uh, yeah, I, I would love to say this about Gonzaga. I mean, you know, they they are, I mean, if they are, uh, I mean, their 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 consistency and and what they've accomplished over the last twenty years now. I mean, they're they're more than just a, a Cinderella. And like I said, they, there's a tremendous institutional commitment. That Gonzaga has made to to college basketball and what they do, um, they're they're a good basketball team. So I I, I could I certainly I, I certainly think they're gonna have to play well to beat Syracuse, but they're gonna have to play well and, and to, to to you know get all the way like you said through the through the Sweet Sixteen. But to to beat Gonzaga, you're gonna have to play a really good basketball game as well. I I, I like Gonzaga a lot. I, I think they've done really well. I think they're they're getting a lot of respect. Um, they've they've been number one. They've beaten Duke. We 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 tend to forget. You know, Gonzaga's gone out there and beaten Duke. I mean, they're thirty and three. They've got 
30 wins on the season. This is not some team that's sneaking up on anyone. And go, and Syracuse having to go from the East Coast to the West Coast, they didn't do them any favors. They didn't put them in the East. They didn't, you know, they didn't put them uh, in Washington, D.C. In, in that Duke bracket. They mm-hmm. put them in the Anaheim bracket. And they have to come out here, and they've got to play, and they've got to beat a Baylor, and then they've had to stay out here and then deal with the with the Gonzaga. And I know we're assuming that Gonzaga is going to beat either Fairleigh Dickinson or, or Prairie View at A and M, but you know that's the re- reality. That's what's going to happen. I think it's just going to be rough sledding for East Coast team to come out, play, then you know have a day off, and then play again. Gonzaga has a deep bench. They're going to throw a lot of guys out there, especially when you're playing two games mm-hmm. in two days and, and you're kind of going through this run. Whoever has a deep bench, and that's kind of why I like Florida State a little bit too, is going to uh, is is going to do quite well, and and I think they're going to be fine. Um, but you never know that you know that that's what it's all about. Um, in the East, back in Washington D.C., uh, I, I don't see anybody stopping Duke until maybe they get to um, Michigan State, maybe in the Elite Eight where Michigan State just kind of gives everybody a hard time. It's not a, a a traditional year for Michigan State, but they're still in the tournament. They still play well. Uh, they have some good wins. They were 28-6 and six this year. Even though Duke is 29-5, and five, I mean, it, it, listen, let's be honest with you. If Zion Williams is healthy, they're going to have a hard time. If Zion Williams is not healthy or he, he misses time for any right. reason, Duke could get knocked out early. I mean, they could get knocked out, you know, in Sweet 16. Uh, I'm thinking Mississippi State might be there at, at in Sweet 16. So um, it's going to be really interesting. When, when you have a talent like Zion Williams um, that you know is going to be uh, the number one pick, uh, Williamson is going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft, he's a freak athlete. I mean, a man that size – what freshman, what 18-year-old kid can jump out of the building and weighs 285? I mean, that is that is ridiculous. And and when you have these freak athletic monsters, and I'm saying that with the utmost respect, you know, eventually, you know, you just you got to match people up. I don't know how you match him up unless you're just kind of doing what North Carolina did and just pack everything in and say, okay, hey, shoot the three. Go ahead, right. shoot the three. Right. We'll live with that. We're gonna pack. We're gonna play a zone, and we're gonna play just tight, man. You guys could be out there open all day, but you're not coming into here where you could destroy everything. And with Zion, Good. seriously, he can shoot from anywhere. Like he's just not an inside player. It's just he the, can absolutely yeah. shoot. From the rest anywhere. of the team is not great shooters, though. No, they're not. And so if you have a defense that's forcing, that's forcing you. Say you double team Zion. I'm still not sure a double team on Zion shuts him down. He still looks like a man among boys, and it doesn't matter who they play. I think I think you're about to talk about it, Will, and I and I and I. I mean, you know, what can what can be said about Zion and, and Mike Krzyzewski. Um But I, I want to I want to turn the attention a little bit towards uh, a guy by the name of Tony Bennett, and uh, I think the hardest press conference that I could ever imagine as a as a college basketball coach had to be last year after losing the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And there, there is no, there is no explanation for for the loss and the way they lost. I mean, they they were completely blown out. We're talking about the Cavaliers of, of Virginia. Right about the, the Virginia Cavaliers. Yep. And uh, and for Tony Bennett to come out and to face the media the way he did, and to to accept all of the questions and and to, I'm sure to accept all of the criticism um, of of and to accept the embarrassment. 
it was a complete embarrassment. Never in the history of the of the, of the tournament since so they gone 64 teams that a had a number one seed lost to a 16, and and in the way they lost, I mean, um, yeah, and what what that happens, you know, you you start to question yourself as a coach, you question your style, and then those types of those types of losses would tend to erode the confidence in a program. But uh, they came out and they they, they um, must have had a um, a real introspective look at themselves and and. The, they came out. They played well right from the beginning, and uh, there was no. They, they uh, put it this way: they didn't. They didn't. The loss didn't stick with them, and uh, they came out. And I, I know that they they quickly moved up the polls, and uh, you know had had a, had a tremendous season, and and they're, they're an extremely good basketball team. And I I, I think you're going to see a lot different Virginia team in this tournament, uh, obviously, than you did last year. They're playing in the South in that Louisville um, bracket. They're the number one team. I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I don't see anyone making a run at them, unless it's Tennessee or um, Villanova. Um, until the Elite Eight, um, I, I think they're going easily to the Final Four. That Virginia team, once again, the 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 common denominator that they had last year, which was the number one ranked defensive team in the nation. But they I forgot the player's name. He got hurt, which provided some scoring for them. They couldn't score the ball. The, the ball, uh, the ball. This year they're scoring. And now they have the same type of suffocating defense, but now they're able to put points on the board, and they're not going to be surprised, like you said. They know what to expect. They know what the expectations are. I'm pretty sure if it was me, you, and Dory sitting in the room with Tony, he, we would all be wearing T-shirts that say redemption. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a really interesting year for them. And and while we're looking at Duke and North Carolina and everyone else, that Virginia team, and, and I think after the first weekend, they get through that first weekend, I think it's going to be really interesting to, for because I think you're going to get some some teams to say, okay, he, here we go. This is this is a team that we expected last year that couldn't get through the first the the first round, and uh, and now here they are in the second weekend. They're going to be a handful. I think Virginia. I mean, we know we know that Tony Bennett he got that job because of the type of coach he is because of what he did at WSU in a in a place that we all know is difficult to recruit to. So he showed that he is the type of coach that can create a winning program and have it be sustainable and that players buy into what he's, to what he's doing. So I think last year was an anomaly. It, it did get, it did polarize everybody in the country regarding their brackets Buster. because busted, Bracket blown up. Buster. So, um, but I do think that Virginia, I, I, I'm with Will. Okay, I think that it it will be, you know, maybe maybe it ends up Virginia and Purdue. Maybe it ends up Virginia and Purdue. Who knows? But I think that uh, Virginia right now, it 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 looks good. It looks really good for them to work their way through. I'm not saying it will be easy, but I do believe that redemption has something to do with it. I also believe that that they have a different goal. You know, they they were the number 1 team in the country 2 years ago uh, frequently, the number 1 number 1. And sometimes that gives you a lot of extra pr- added pressure 
So now they're coming in, and and I think maybe they'll be re- more relaxed in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're going to play with a little chip on their shoulder, too. I, I know last year it, it's got to bother them a little bit, and, and I don't think there's anything worse than a, a number one team who, who's in position to have a chip on their shoulder. And they, uh, they will, uh, they'll, they'll come out, and I think they're all kind of chopping at the bit to get to Thursday or Friday whenever they play their first game. You know, it. I, I'm. I'm gonna say something that's that's just rude, but whatever. I don't. I don't care because that's just the way I roll. Um, I understand they have a chip on the shoulder, but the regular fan base, no one cares. This tournament is all about Duke. It really is for them to have three guys that might go in the top five and at least in the top ten. Two guys that would definitely go in the top five. All eyes are on Duke, then probably North Carolina, and then Virginia and Gonzaga. Uh, it's going to be one of those kind of like, oh, right, if they make it, they make it. And, and I just, to, you know, the honest truth. But with this tournament, when you've got that amount of talent and you've got these guys there, you know, the, the expectations, because, you know, that's what we do. And, I mean, I've seen so many Duke games because they're constantly on TV. And, and I got a question for you. Here we go. Here's the question. Duke is one of those love them, hate them teams. When was the last time that there was a Duke team that you really liked? Because this team, whether you like them or, or not, this is one of the few teams because of the players that they have that you're kind of like, ah, I don't hate them as much. If you hate Duke, you don't hate them as much. I think when Grant Hill played, sorry. Yeah, Grant Hill. Uh-huh. I, it, ahead, it, it wouldn't matter to me who else was on the team. I, I will always go with Grant Hill. And if he plays for Duke, then that would be the team that I I would always root for is Grant Hill because of who he is as an individual. So, <laughs> even though that uh-huh. Danny Ferry was on that team and some other interesting characters. Yeah, the Grant Hill's team, the Grant Hill Duke teams, I, I rooted for Duke. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the I'm probably on the opposite end of that spectrum, and I'm I'm really in age myself. Yep. I, I I go I go all the way back to like Jim Spinarkle and those cats. I, I never have liked the Duke Blue Devils. I didn't uh, I didn't like I didn't like Johnny Dawkins. I didn't like Mark Allery. I didn't like Jay Billis. I still don't like Jay Billis. I've never been a fan of the Blue Duke Blue Devils. Juan, but why um, do you have the Christian Leitner poster in your room? There's, what? There's, there's, there's no Christian. There's no Christian Leitner poster anywhere near this uh, facility. <laughs> and 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 the uh, and, that, and that stepping that the stepping on the chest of the uh, the Kentucky player should have been thrown out of the game. Yeah. But but because because it's Mike Krzyzewski and because it's Duke and because it's Leitner, he gets to stay in and he gets to hit the shot and uh, and he should have been out of the game. Uh, I didn't like Greg Kubek. I, I just don't like any of the. I, I, I'll go over the, I did, you know something? I, I do agree with Zoe. I did like Grant Hill. I met Calvin Hill at a at a seminar and had a wonderful conversation with Calvin Hill. Class guy, class family, class kid. Uh, I liked a lot Abdul Nabi. Abdul Nabi was a good dude, and and I, and I felt uh, kind of kind of trended away from what Duke is and 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 what Duke represents, but. Duke Blue Devils, no, no, no time for them. I heard you have some JJ Reddick jersey hanging up in your closet. Is that is that true? You're going to be surprised, <laughs> but um, 
I I also got rid of my Cherokee Park stuff. Oh my God, Cherokee Parks! All right, wow. that's, that's a so. Wow. All right, so you know we're talking about Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. The, these great players on this team and and, and, not, and not to and listen there, there's a lot of talented guys uh, that playing in this tournament that have been playing all uh, this entire year um, but le- can we think of teams that should have won it all that didn't make it uh, uh, what are the, some of these teams that we can remember that had NBA well, players that didn't wind up making it they didn't win the tournament, or didn't, didn't no? Didn't win the championship. Didn't win the championship. The oh, NCAA well, tournament. I think the most, the most obvious to me is the the 1985 Georgetown Hoyas, who who were upset by by Villanova and uh, the 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 unbelievable shooting performance of uh, Ed Pickney and uh, Carol Presley, and when they they shot like 80 percent that night. And uh, and they, they they took down the Georgetown Hoyas and the Georgetown Hoyas had what three number one draft picks on that team, yeah, Patrick including Ewing. Patrick Ewing. Yeah, Sleepy so Floyd. Just, just, right off the top of my head, I, obviously, uh, five slab of jamma. Dang it! Uh, I need you to stop talking. That's my uh, team. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. You take it from there. Juan, that's my team, man. Five slam jamma. That was gonna be my. That was mine. That's mine. Five slam jamma is mine with Clyde the Glad Drexler. Okay, um, no, that was to me. That was probably the major upset because they were, they were dialed in. They'd gotten into the final four the year before and lost, and so this was the team that was going in and going to win the championship. And will or Juan, who'd they lose to in the championship game? They lost to the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Jim Valvano. Jim Valvano looking for someone moments, to hug. Great moments in college basketball yeah. history. Yeah, that was tough. With Raleigh Massimino, watching him on the court, and and but Five Slamma Jamma with Akeem Olajuwon and, and Clyde Drexler. Oh, man, that was my team. Where does the Fab Five uh, roll in? The Michigan's Fab Five. With Jalen Rose and Chris Weber and um, the litany of guys that I believe all I believe all five of them went. Stacy King, he played with the Bulls. I believe all five of them were drafted in the NBA. Where does that rank with with those teams that did not win a championship? I think it's up there. I, I, I mean, you bring up you bring up so many you bring up so many. I'm not done with the '80s yet. I, I think of Michael Jordan's junior year. Michael Jordan's junior year with Matt Doherty and and uh, uh, I think they had Jim Braddock on that team and they could, they lost to Indiana uh, in in a hard spot. I, I'd say that was maybe a, an elite eight game and I, I thought that North Carolina team was extremely good, extremely well. I, I think Brad Doherty was a center, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, had a had a just a just a real tough time against Indiana and ultimately lost. And I thought was a that was a really good basketball team and then obviously. Jordan went pro the next year, but uh, you know you bring up um, you bring up Stacy Augment and those cats at uh, UNLV. Well, uh, Larry Johnson a, with Larry Johnson, they, 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 yeah. they won a championship the year before, and they lost. Grandma, who did they lose to? Can't remember who they lost that game to. I don't know. I just in see the, the I just see their coach gnawing on a right. towel. Yeah, the running <laughs> the running Rebs and Grandmama Larry Johnson. But who, who did they lose to in the championship game? I don't remember. 
I, I forgot. I, just, I forgot. I, 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 all I know is that they party so much that they never wanted to put an NBA uh, team there until uh, now. It's finally in the conversation. It was. It was. It was the. It was. It was the Duke Blue Devils with uh, with uh, Leitner and thinking Bobby Hurley. Who is what we've got. We got full circle in this conversation. Yeah. Arizona State. Uh, I'm still, Bobby Hurley. Lord. I'm still mad about it. Oh, so some great teams and uh. Even um, Anthony Davis in Kentucky uh, with uh, John Wall and um, and uh, oh my sure. God, uh, what's the what's the point guard now that's with Milwaukee Bucks? Why I see his face and I can't mm-hmm. ah, I can't believe I'm I'm not. Anyway, that that's one of the great college basketball teams. Also, that Kentucky team, uh, Bledsoe Bledsoe was on that team. Mm-hmm. Also, you had all those guys on that team. Uh, but it just shows you. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it full circle here, that we spent uh, you know this time on this. Um, you know, sometimes it's not about these young kids and these young bucks. And, and you know, if you could stick with these teams, and and we don't see it, um, we don't see it play out like that. And we might see it now that that there's some tinkering with maybe some some rule changes and things like that. Uh, that eventually might come about whether they're going to allow players to come straight to the NBA, and if they don't, maybe they stay for a few years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't always get it done when you're 18 years old. No matter how talented you are, no matter what your NBA skill is, and, and what you do in the NBA, sometimes you know, just being around and, and being with a program and developing will lead to these championships and the NCAA uh, making a lot of money off your namesake. But that's for no, another I, day. I, I, I completely <laughs> agree with you. And but it's really, really interesting. You bring up such an interesting thing because you, you go back to the 1980s, Will. Uh, 1982, the Georgetown Hoyas, they lose you know, on this, this shot and, and a terrible turnover by Fred Brown, which we all thought would haunt him. Two years later, Georgetown wins the championship, and that's Patrick Ewing's junior year, and Fred Brown's a senior, and uh, Michael Graham and David Wingate, and, and then the very, very next year, uh, there's Georgetown again, and now they've become a national brand. But it's a team that we saw for four straight years as one of the dominant programs of college basketball before they went down against Villanova, hmm. and you you just don't see that anymore. That's just not the nature of college basketball today. David Wingate wound up being a teammate of Grandmama Larry Johnson, sure. but with the Hornets. Um, let's move along to um, the women's bracket, and, and obviously we're not gonna we're not gonna break down the women's um, 2018 Notre Dame. Uh, won the championship in 2017. Uh, Stacy Dawn and uh, South Carolina won the championship in, in one of the, the great shots. In fact, the last two years, uh, the championship games have had great uh, shots to end the game. But UConn, for the first time since 2007, is the second seed. They're, they're not the first seed. They've won 10 championships since 2016. Their record this year was 31-2. and two. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not to say that the other teams aren't uh, deserving. Baylor, Mississippi State, Louisville, and Notre Dame are the number one seeds. But besides breaking everything down, I kind of wanted to talk about you know the impact that Nord- uh, that UConn has had on the rest of uh, women's college basketball. And we could really, before we even get into that, we could take it all the way back to Pat Summit and the Vols yeah. and the excellence that she had uh, strived for. I, I remember just watching when it was women's basketball, it always started and ended 
with the Vols of Tennessee. I think well, one of the, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You got it. Okay. I think one of the pieces that that continues to define women's athletics is you have to go back to the foundation as you do with any kind of as you do with any kind of 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 um, change, right? Any kind of change. And one of the pieces that that Pat Summit always said was you start with fundamentals and you end with fundamentals. You can have athletes, but unless they understand the fundamentals of the game and have the skill, it's not going to change. It's not going to change what, what we're doing here. And so um, she set the bar really high. And then you had coaches like Tara Vanderveer at Stanford come in. And then, right, Oriyama at UConn and Muffet McGraw. And every year we see these, these amazing programs continue to set the bar high. And it, it has to start when they're in middle school, elementary school, with driving home that the skill is important, okay? And, and understanding how to, the fu- your fundamentals are really key. That absolutely, fun- the fundamentals are really key. I think more money into the women's program has, has really helped as well. So all, all of these women, we have Muffet McGraw, Tara Vanderveer, Pat Summit set the bar high, and then you have UConn. And there's not as big of a difference between these teams that are in the NCAA as there used to be. There can be upsets. There used to be no upsets. You used to know exactly who was going to be in the Final Four. But every year, there are more and more upsets as, as, the, as the programs begin to develop and become stronger. Well, the, the level the level of play has obviously gone up, and uh, it, it used to be it, there used to be so, so much conversation about in women's basketball the pace of play, but they they run the basketball up and down the floor now. The, the gals are extremely athletic, uh, and they they play much more of a wide open street basketball game. Obviously, the the, the three point shot has made a big difference in the in the women's college game as it has in the WNBA, and it's a really exciting style of basketball. I had an opportunity to call a couple of the the girls' games here at the Washington State High School tournament, and the level of play was just remarkable. And and will I mean I, absolutely uh, Pat Summit, Gino Ariyama, um, even I have Tara Vanderbeer in there because I've always had so much respect for her. But I mean, there's been so many great coaches, and, and um, <laughs> Dory just mentioned Muffin McGraw, but I think about Vivian Stringer and uh, Don Staley after her great playing career has become a, a, an incredible basketball coach. I think about here at the University of Washington, we had a, a lady uh, by the name of Chris Gobrecht, and uh, who I actually uh, had a chance to know and uh, develop a little bit of a friendship with, and had uh, what a great basketball coach and what a great person she is. Um, June Doherty and the teams that she had that were so successful here at the University of Washington. Uh, there, there's a lot of great basketball coaches out there, and uh, they're they're providing an opportunity for young women to to experience that thrill and. The, the tournament will be very, very exciting, and, and certainly Gino and Pat Summon have have uh, they definitely sit high uh, atop that uh, that that pantheon. But uh, there's there's some great basketball coaches out there. 
I, I couldn't agree more. And, and we talk about, you know, uh, the, the great basketball coach, uh, coaches and, and Muffet. You know, she won last year, but the last time she won was 2001. And it's not to take mm-hmm. anything away from a program, but it just kind of shows how difficult it is. And for UConn, I mean, they've reached a Sweet 16 every season since 1994. They've been to the Final Four every year since 2008, and until they lost this year to Baylor in January, they had won 126 uh, regular season games. I mean, that is just ridiculous. I mean, and they go on runs. It's like a three-year run, a four-year run. Mm -hmm. You know, they've lost the last two years, and, you know, they they don't have a a great team right now. We'll see if Katie Lou Samuelson will play. She had missed a a, a bunch of games. Uh, She was out and recovering from injury. She's one of their big weapons. Um, But it's just absolutely amazing, like anything, and we know it. You know, it's like, you know, when we talk about if we're going to, you know, talk about the NFL, we talk about whether you like it or love it, what the Patriots have done and what they've established and how they run their system for them to be competitive and always be in the conversation year in and year out. You get into a tournament like this where you can get picked off anywhere along the line and still find a way to, you know, be successful. And, and and no, I mean, you have to know that there's tremendous pressure. The Huskies have been the hunted for a long, long time. And for them to maintain that excellence, and I remember Gene Auriemma said it um, a few years back, and they were talking about, well, you know, do you think that uh, the fact that you guys are winning too much is bad for women's basketball? And he said it simply. He said no. He said, I think it's great for women's basketball. I think it just shows you that everyone else needs to elevate their games and their programs so we can compete together at this level. I've brought it to this level. Now everybody else catch up. And that's what I feel like. It's, it's, that's what's happening right now. No, I, I agree. And I, and I think that he's, he has, he's, I remember when he, when he said that and 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 I, I don't think that was a slight at, at, the, at any of the other teams. Not at all. No, but, but, no. But I I, th- I think you're right. I think I, I think that a, a number of these programs across the country, and a, and a lot of it will, a lot of it I believe also has kind of coincided with the fact that the, you have some of these super conferences with this television money, uh, with these with these uh, conference television networks, certainly in the Big Ten, the the, the Pac-12, and, uh, and and others have gone to these these quote unquote super super conferences with the, with the TV contract. And that allows you to start to invest uh, in your coaches, in your facilities, and uh, and really allows you to to attract the, the the top players across the country to your program. Uh, and I think you're starting to see that a little bit, and and that's one of the things that's also starting to, to become a challenge. I, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but ESPN did a um, did a special on basketball at, at the beginning of the season that the multi the multi chapter. And there was a, there was some wonderful exposition about women's college basketball, and to think about how far this sport has come since the 1970s is incredible. And they were playing in in little not 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 gymnasiums, but little uh, additions to gymnasiums. I mean, they were playing like in little shoe boxes, and uh, to see where the where the women's game has come is uh, and once again once again Gino Ariamas played a big role in that. Vivian Stringer. 
um, and, and those great coaches and, and so many great players along the way. Hey, and, and, and let's not lose sight of, and I think that's a perfect example of what you're talking about uh, with the money being invested. Let's not lose sight of the fact that they have this one element of the game that's not being affected the way the men's game is, and that is the fact that they're not losing players early. All of their Correct. players are playing four years, graduating, then maybe getting drafted to the WNBA, and then going overseas because that's where the money is. And that's a conversation for another show about the lack of money to these incredible athletes that is uh, the WNBA and all the money that's in the NBA that can be going to them, that the fact that they have to go overseas to make money. But my point is the fact that all of these players are staying until senior years. So the, the coaches are having a chance to develop these great players and get talented. So it's a great mix of having juniors and seniors. And then with a sprinkle, like a little, maybe I, I like rainbow sprinklers, with a sprinkle of some freshmen in there to really round out these teams. I, I completely agree. Completely agree. But I, I think that, uh, you know, certainly, certainly, uh, what, what Gino Ariyama's done is special. Uh, it, it will definitely be remembered for a long time in the, in the history of, of college basketball. But, but the gap is closing. The gap is closing. And I think, I think if anybody knows it, it's Gino Ariyama. It is. It is. All right, so we'll, we'll keep our eye on the, on the women's uh, tournament, and we'll have more on that on, on our future shows. Um, just real quick, just because we haven't had a chance to talk uh, football uh, in, uh, in a while, um, you know, hey – What's going on with the Steelers? This is your wife's team. I don't want to get you in trouble, right? Because, you know, we don't want to talk about your wife's team over here and, and, and have her throw a pot at you or something like that. But um, she can't be happy what's been happening in, uh, in Steeltown over there in, uh, in Pittsburgh and the fact that now um, you have a guy like Antonio Brown, one of the top wide receivers in the league, getting traded to the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell that decided it was better not to play at all and miss entire season. And now he's with the Jets. And there's now what's left is their quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, what, 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 can, what can be said about the Pittsburgh Steelers? And Will, I, yeah, you, know, you know the way I like to play. And the, the bottom line issue is, is that you know, this, this is a game that is about having a franchise quarterback, which they do, uh, although his behavior at times and, and some of the things he's gone through in his career. Um, but the, the bottom line issue is that he is, he is a, a future Hall of Famer. Uh, and you have two two players, one who had a, a, a knee injury, and he's asking for an inordinate amount of money. And the young man from uh, I believe it was from Penn State came in and, and 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 had a fantastic year before he was injured. And then Antonio Brown, you know, I mean, you know, that you, you get to a certain point in your career, and you're you're looking to get paid. And the the bottom line issue is, I mean, that 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 is behavior that is. Uh, you know the, the 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 organization chose not to reward either either one of the players, and now they can go out and they can go ahead and rebuild around their franchise quarterback. I bet you they will rebuild their defense, um, which obviously I think the Pittsburgh Steelers defense has struggled ever since the loss of, of Ryan Shazier, and I'm sure that that's going to be the first thing that Mike Tomlin will address. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been a proud franchise over time, uh, and they they've played football in a manner. Uh, that that has been consistent with that by running the football and, and playing good defense. 
And I think that Mike Tomlin, I'm sure he sat down and talked with the Rooney family. And, yeah, they lost two stars in the league, but uh, they weren't winning with both those players there. And they will go out and they will rebuild their defense and they will draft a, uh, another receiver who will come in and will put up big numbers and, and uh, they, they will continue to run the football. And I, I bet you that the Pittsburgh Steelers will be a playoff team this year. Do you think Mike Tomlin takes any, um, I, I don't want to say blame, but any responsibility for what has happened in Pittsburgh the last few seasons? And I say that because, you know, I, we had Ben uh, McAdoo uh, with the New York Giants sure. and, and uh, even Tom Coughlin when he had Odell and he didn't kind of put him in his place and he kind of ran amok. And now we've seen that the Giants have moved on and traded him to Cleveland. You know, where does where, where does the responsibility fall on someone like Tomlin for what has transpired there in Pittsburgh? <laughs> The, 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 the buck always, in my opinion, stops with the head coach, and I'm sure Mike Tomlin will agree with that, and he's, he has some responsibility for it. But, I mean, what do you do? Do you take away uh, Antonio Brown's cell phone so he can't Twitter? How do you eliminate the distraction of the fact that your, your running back who's under contract doesn't want to play? So I mean I think on offense he was I mean he went out and they 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 found a kid to come in and and uh, they have a good year at running back. Yeah, James Conner out of uh, University of Pittsburgh. Yep. out of Pittsburgh. I'm sorry, you're right, out of Pittsburgh. But uh, but unfortunately, you know they they couldn't they couldn't get the relationship mended with Antonio Brown and he was frustrated. And I, obviously the the Steelers had told Antonio Brown that this this is where you're going to fit in and we're going to slot you in the money that we'd like to give you. And uh, and he he wanted to go somewhere else, so it's it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I've, I've heard so much that Antonio Brown was the big victor. Antonio Brown was the big winner in all this, and uh, and and you know maybe maybe will he was, but he's going to a football team that uh, is is not a very good football team. It's going to be a very very young football team. Um, I, I I think that their quarterback is a is a decent player. But certainly, they need a lot of help besides Antonio Brown. I don't think Antonio Brown fixes the problem for the Oakland Raiders. Here's the deal: they don't have. Here, here here's here's the thing with the Raiders. Okay, first of all, Antonio Brown. There, who, who's the Raiders running back? Right. So now you're relying 100 percent on the passing game. And here's what we know about Antonio Brown: when he doesn't get his way, he mm-hmm. doesn't fight through adversity. He does not mm-hmm. fight through adversity. Here's the no. other part. When we go back to the Pittsburgh Steelers, okay, and Mike Tomlin, the reason Antonio Brown acted the way he did and Le'Veon Bell acted the way they the way he did is because Mike Tomlin had got had, did not implement that everybody's treated the same, okay? The expectations were the same. So that when he decided to change and make everybody accountable – you have players that hadn't been held accountable in the locker room and on the field and off the field. And then when they were held accountable, they decided to, what? Eh, I'm out. I'm injured. I don't mm-hmm. want to sign that contract. So I think that it all stems from what kind of message do you send your team, number one, and number two, when you change that message and you start letting guys get away with things on and off the field, it is no surprise that the Pittsburgh Steelers went down in flames last year. 
I, I, I can't agree with you more. And I, and I, I you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, stand up and give Mike Mayock a standing ovation. There, there were only three teams in the league that really had the salary cap space where they could do a deal for what Antonio Brown was looking for. And you know, Mike Mayock went ahead and made a deal that that he could make given the space that he had. So you know, I mean, that um, you know, they they, they certainly get a, a a player who in the past has been very productive. And um, and we'll, we'll see what uh, we'll see what type of uh, production they get from from that big contract for a 31 year old wide receiver. And, and I, um, you know, like like I said, I it certainly is a, isn't a move that I would have made. I don't want to deal with the headache. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be really interesting, and and, and I agree. Um, I, I think the Raiders are going to have their own headaches. Um, I'm not sure what they're doing. I'm not sure if they're just kind of putting uh, up a team just to show like some sm- smoke and mirrors for the the new Las Vegas move. But mm-hmm. you know, addition by subtraction for the Steelers, I think they showed that they can play without Le'Veon Bell, even though Le'Veon Bell is a tremendous talent. We're going to see how he performs with the Jets. I think that's going to be, a, a, if he's healthy, it's going to be a tremendous asset to, to Sam Darnold. And, and we'll get into all this NFL stuff later on. You know, we just want to kind of touch, you know, touch upon some of the stuff. But the Raiders have been interesting. away. Huh? The draft, the draft, the draft is next month. It's not going away. Yeah, yeah I, we'll, we'll get, we'll get, we'll we do a whole NFL, we'll get to a whole NFL show. And it'll be really interesting to see what the Raiders are going to do because, you know, this is Cars last year. They didn't offer him ex- an extension as of now, so we'll see what happens. And Oakland's going to be in position if they wanted to draft a a, um, a quarterback. They will uh, in the draft, or if they wanted to trade for quarterback with Rosen. So there's a, still a lot of uh, questions left, but we'll get into that. Uh, last thing on the NFL, and and I, and, you know, I like to to wrap up uh, in the next couple minutes our show um, with, with the Browns. Now, you know, AFC North, the Steelers have been the creme de la creme. Uh, the Bengals have had a uh, uh, really a, a dash here and there where they've been successful, but the Bengals have been the Bengals. By the way, uh, uh, Burfett, Bur- um, Vontaze Burfett has been released by them, which I think was three years too late, and I, I'm not surprised that he's released now that Lewis is no longer there because – uh, I, I personally, if that was my team, I wouldn't have tolerated his behavior. But Cleveland now, with the quarterback that they have, um, now they've traded for Odell Beckham. Um, they have Hunt, which has now been suspended. He's going to miss the first eight mm-hmm. games. So I'm, I'm thinking that they're just trying to stay above water and then get this talented running back back in. And, and they have a talented running back already mm-hmm. there. Well, just real quick, you know, what are your thoughts? Early thoughts. Let's just remind everybody: these are early predictions, surely to go wrong. What What are your early thoughts on uh, on the AFC North and and the impact that the Browns may make on this team? I, I think that they are uh, they they have done the, the moves necessary to put themselves in position, and they they've given Baker Mayfield uh, a tremendous target, and, and he's got a he's got he's got three now, and and the tight end and Joku and. And Landry. Um, Landry and uh and, and now and now Beckham. And and you know, he very, very quietly, Will, and you you just touched on it. Uh that kid Nick Chubb had a heck of a football. He he was a, he had a heck of a rookie year. Uh he catches the ball out of the backfield, he's a big running back. Uh, you know, he not, might not be the player that he was in college, and certainly might not be uh like like his uh, his teammate Todd Gurley from the University of Georgia, uh or or Sony Michelle, but he's 
he's more than a serviceable running back, and that's going to be a really good one-two combination when the Kareem Cup comes off of the uh, uh, off of his suspension after eight weeks. They're going to be a, they'll be a, they'll they'll be a good football team. They're they're, they're extremely young. So this is a run that's going to last for a little while, and and, and obviously um, it, it all starts with the man pulling the trigger. And I, I think uh, I think we all agree that they they made a really good pick uh, in selecting Baker Mayfield number one last year. Well, Baker Mayfield has shown that he's a winner on and off the field. He has mm-hmm. a leadership piece that with him that's an intangible. Okay, there are so many things that you can test when you go through the the combine at the NFL for the NFL draft, but there are also these intangibles that people gravitate, people gravitate, players gravitate, coaches gravitate mm-hmm. to Baker Mayfield. And yeah. I I just think that that that's the piece that that you don't you can't game plan for the intangibles that Baker Mayfield brings to the brings to the table. So with that, man, that that would make me if I wasn't already a Browns fan, that would make me a Browns fan. And I wasn't a Baker Mayfield fan because I I, I felt like he kind of he really went outside the boundaries on what was acceptable of college athletes in in some of his antics but um i think he's redeemed himself i think he's shown himself to be a leader uh in 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 what he does on the field off the field and how he galvanizes the players on his team it didn't matter who the coach was for the for, for the cleveland browns last year baker mayfield showed that he was a winner regardless of all the chaos that was going on around him i i think he has i i think the browns are a team to watch just real quick before we uh, wrap it up, um, and our next show we'll we'll, we'll talk. We're, we're going to focus on baseball, um, but baseball starting already. Believe it or not, I, I know <laughs> I, I know that in some places, a lot of places, there's still snow on the ground and there's ice, and um, they they still got the shovel out and they, they're still running to Home Depot and getting the salt and laying mm-hmm. it out. But uh, the Mariners start their season against the A's um, this week, March 20th and 21st. They're going to be in Japan. Uh, the rest of the Major League Baseball starts on Thursday, March 28th. And uh, the, the reason I bring it up is because um, th- this might be it for Ichiro. Yeah. We're, we're, we're looking mm-hmm. at the end of pretty much uh, Ichiro. Um, the Mariners said that they're going to start him. They're, they're going to let him play. Um, he has not had a good season, uh, preseason um, or spring ball. He's been, you know, he's two for 31. Um, but... Regardless, whatever it is, it's, it's kind of a, his farewell tour to Japan. He works out there in the off season, does all this crazy stuff. There's some great articles on him that we could get into another time on the work ethic, and you can find him at a baseball field at you know two o'clock in the morning working on stuff uh, because he's just relentless. Um, last thoughts: If this is the last go around for Ichiro, your last thoughts, and when everyone chimes in. I have one last thought on each role in order for him to prolong his career, but go ahead. Um, I, I will never forget in uh, 2003 sitting in the left field stands at Safeco Field and watching uh, Hank Blaylock. Hank Blaylock tried to attempt to go first to third of the Texas Rangers uh, on each row and a ball hit into the right field gap, and each row threw a ball that. Uh, to me, uh, just it defies scientific explanation how how a baseball can be thrown um, that far, uh, four feet off the ground, 
And Hank Blaylock was just amazed when he, uh, he, he thought, he thought he had Ichiro and his, his arm, uh, was just, just so lethal. And some of the throws that he made, but that one, um, just to see it live, it made you shake your head. A, a guy that size who was so dominant and, and provided so much excitement and really, um, broke so many barriers. And I'm glad to say that he played it in a Seattle Mariner uniform. I think with Ichiro, uh, it, he changed how how kids watching the game decided to play. Okay, he's not the biggest guy, he's not the strongest, he's not the fastest, but he is the quickest, and he has a way of hitting the ball that made him iconic. So. Maybe guys that didn't think, maybe little kids that didn't think they could play baseball, he changed their vision of what was possible. He was also very, he was great with the with the fans. He was great with the with the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he loved this. He embraced the city of Seattle because the fans and city of Seattle embraced Ichiro. I, I think the Mariners are doing the right thing. And and how cool is it, right, that. They start their season in Japan, that they made sure that Ichiro was still on the team. And I think he'll always be a part of the Seattle Mariners in in some way, shape, or form. I really do. But I do not see him in the starting lineup when they come to Seattle and open the season. I'm going to say two things, and one of them is going to be nice and one of them not nice. All right, so that that might um, agitate some people. All right, you're, you're you're entitled. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just I don't <laughs> care. So, <laughs> so my 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 first thing to obviously all the accolades. Each rules a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, without a question, without a doubt, uh, the 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 way he hit the ball, the amount of hits he had, the way he led the team. His defensive prowess, the way he threw the ball, everything that everyone mentioned that that you guys mentioned, I agree one hundred percent. First ballot Hall of Famer, without a doubt. If he wanted to keep playing ball, you know, and and it seems like he wants to still play, hey, go pitch. His arm strength is still absolutely incredible, and how entertained would we all be if we could see him on the mound? throwing one of these crazy pitches and being up there and still balling. Because even though he's gotten slower in other areas, his arm strength is still tremendous. Just the other day he was showing it off exactly what you were talking about, catching a ball, firing it to third base without a hop or anything like that. Tremendous arm strength. My criticism is not to Ichiro. My criticism is to the Mariners. Okay? What you're showing me right now, day one and day two of the regular season, tells me that you have no interest in winning. If you had interest in winning and if every game mattered, you would not be playing Ichiro. A guy that has not performed, that cannot help out your team offensively the way you do, and you're going to put him in because you want to appease the fans or put on a show and sell some tickets or whatever it is that you want to do tells me two different things, okay? So great by them. I love it as a fan. I love to see Ichiro out there. But if you're a fan of the Mariners, don't feed me that bull because if you want to win and there's a importance of every single game he would not be out there 
So it's not a criticism to him. No, but the Mariners better not ask for money in August and saying where the fans were trying to win because right off the bat, day one, you're telling me that you do not value wins. Well, I think it's a fair criticism. Let's wrap it up. Nagata retires. He goes up to Mount Kilimanjaro, 13 seasons. He came in. He was a first-round pick in 2006. He was 12th pick overall by the Ravens. Uh, Ray Lewis, the season before, complained that he needed a defensive tackle to help him so so, so Nagata could, could block everybody and he could run through and make all these tackles. What a great career for him. He was the 2005 Pac-10 Defensive Player of the Year. Pac-10, not Pac-12. He played at Oregon. He was the Morris Trophy Award winner, which is uh, the best offensive and defensive players voted on by their peers. So congratulations to Nagata. I wanted to tie it back up to a Pac-12, Pac-10 reference is, 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 as is we Terrell say goodbye. Is he, is, he did. He signed with the Arizona Cardinals. Man. Yeah, they just they just <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, I we hey wow that che- that that money's good, baby. That money's good. Juan, thanks for uh calling in and being with us for the show. We appreciate your time. And uh hey, just another fun day here on NYC. Always another fun day on a beautiful day here in the Emerald City. Dory, last words. Last words. Uh I I just I'm I, I'm excited for for March Madness, I'm excited for NCAA tournament because it uh, we we do it in our classroom. We do it in our classroom. All the kids learn how to use the brackets and operate with the brackets. And I even had parents say thank you for teaching my daughter how to figure out these brackets. We do it at work all the time, and I never knew. So it's a great thing. March Madness, here we come. For Juan Cotto, Dory Bennett, I'm Will Sanchez. You're listening to NYC, NYSEA. We're talking sports and a whole lot more. We're out.